Hello, friends, and welcome to Impact Everywhere, a podcast that searches for people having a positive impact in unexpected places. My name is Benjamin Von Wong, and today I'm excited to introduce to you Mond Q, who is a designer, animator, and digital craftsman. What does that mean? Well, Mond works between disciplines, combining elements from both the physical and the digital world in order to explore what solutions design might hold for our present day problems. Today, we're going to share with you a couple of his exciting experiments where he designs new materials out of waste, explores the future of immersive experiences, and challenges the status quo of education. One of my favorite projects of Mond is a sculpture that he made in Shanghai using materials developed by the Commonwealth Scientific and Industrial Research Organization that passively filters air out over time, while also providing a habitat for moss and lichen. Here's Mond talking about that sculpture right now. So, when we were designing the Shanghai sculpture, we took the brief and flipped it on its head. Originally, a sculpture you would think of is just an object in a landscape that is aesthetically beautiful. But rather than just looking at materiality and beauty, we looked at the intersection of culture and environment and what we're really responding to today. One of the crucial issues within Shanghai is the issue of pollution and air quality. And rather than just designing another sculpture, we thought, wouldn't it be beautiful to create something that is left for better air quality? So we like to call this functional aesthetics. And this has a ripple effect on how people see these sculptures. So it broadens their horizons and broadens their ideas of what a sculpture can be and could be. And we also use time as a material. And what I mean by time as a material is that moss and lichen will grow on it. So over time, it will give back to nature. That's so cool. I don't know when the last time I've heard someone use time as a creative ingredient, also. And I just think that's wonderful. Tell me, what are you working on right now? What's got you really excited and fired up? So I've been in a fortunate position where I'm working with universities, I'm working with students, I'm working with professionals to really bring together what the future of homes and what the future of furniture is could be. So we're currently diving into what a home is, what a piece of furniture could do, and how that system is actually made and how much impact it's having on the environment. So you can trace where the materials from your furniture is actually made, but also design it in a really global sense and have local manufacturing. So these are the things that I'm really passionate about. Those are the things that I'm trying to really push for and advocate for because it's the first time in our lives that we're really thinking about where things are made from and where they come from and what the longevity of these things are rather than consumption, consumption, consumption. And if we build up businesses and we build up frameworks as well as cultures and people for this, I feel like in the future generations, we're going to make some positive change. And it only starts from showing people the way because people can't be what they can't see. So if you pave that way for them, you stand as an example for people to fill in those shoes or at least raise that bar from what was initially set for us. I really love that. We have the opportunity today to redefine and redesign what the new normal is. I want to take a step back and ask what is the difference to you between art and design? For me, design is a subset of art. Art for me is life. It's everything. Everything can be art, right? So a piece of paper on a pedestal in a museum in MoMA or the NGV 
can be described as art. But for me, design is more of a process. It's a way about thinking about a service, product, or experience. And so if we take design specifically and focus on the good aspects of design or bad aspects of design, what do you think is like the role and responsibility of design and what differentiates the two? I think the role of design is a forward-thinking industry. It provides a way of us thinking humanly about how to tackle problems. I think design can be broken down into two parts. One is how the product, object, and experience works. And two is the one that I really love is the process. So it's basically a process that you take to think about the world. This process starts with Number one, what are we doing? Once we have a broad topic or we have a general interest or curiosity, we do a lot of empathy research and ethnographic. So we put ourselves in that environment to actually understand what is happening. So if it is a factory, we will go to that factory, look at what's happening within it, and then start mapping out the opportunity. Once we do that offering of empathy and ethnographic research and deep research, we go into the phase called framing. So we start framing different problems and questions of what are we actually looking at and how we're tackling it. Then after that, we ideate. Then we make prototypes of what it could be. It could be a service, it could be a product, and then we test. Of course, I'm saying quite a linear process right now, but when it actually happens, it's a mess. It's super chaotic. So when you reach out to your clients and you explain to them that you want to do all of this research, do they always get it? Or are they just like, no, just make me the thing. You don't need to go visit the factory. It's not important. I just need a very simple solution. Oh, absolutely. All the time. It's very difficult because when they come to you, you don't know what it is, right? So we're currently working on a project about the future workplace. And this is a furniture company that's looking at the extension of extended reality and architecture across realities. But we don't know what this form is going to take. So we said that we need to do empathy research and ethnographic research before we come up with the idea. And a lot of people can't sit with that uncertainty. They need a clear contract of what they're going to get out of it and what the project is. And now that we've done so many creative projects, we just guide them that if you want things to be original and creative, we need to do this process to actually make it happen. I found it to be always a challenge to charge for my process too. And by using the word design has actually helped me make them understand the process of art. So art has a lot of pre-work involved in order to create something, especially in the activism work that I do. And so by framing it as a design process, it's helped a little bit, but there's still always that gap because people don't want to pay for the research phase of things. They just want to know what they're going to get so that they can choose whether or not to buy it. But often, if you don't go through that process, you end up with the wrong product for the wrong thing. So you might create a solution for something that's not even a problem in the first place. Absolutely. And sometimes the client doesn't even know what the problem is. Exactly. Exactly. They might be asking <laughs> the wrong questions in the first place. I think for some of the listeners here, they might not distinguish between what the importance of design is in our everyday lives. Can you give an example of what good design might look like or bad design? might look like and why that is something that matters in the world of impact. Well, everything that you see around you, everything you touch has in one way or form been designed, right? Like the iPhone that you touch, all the circuitry, all the electronics, all the soldering, all those screws have been considered. Those are the things that all have been designed. And of course, there is good design and bad design. Personally, I think good design has many layers and it tackles the problem head on in layers of social, environmental function, as well as aesthetic. So for example, 
example, I would say a bad design object is a non-biodegradable plastic as a single-use product. Plastic itself is amazing, but it lasts for so long. So why are you using it for a one-time use? Like I get the financial aspect of it, but in terms of a circular economy or a donut model of economics, it just doesn't work. So those layers that you start adding on is something that's super important. So for us, one example is we had a barista come to us and wanted to jazz up her store. She was like, we have this budget right now and we know you're very creative and you come up with a lot of interesting work. So can you come up with some ways of jazzing up our store? And we go to her barista every day. She's our local barista. And every night she comes out with two bags full of waste. So that waste is, of course, the coffee grounds that is used. And inspired by this, we actually took it, used it as a material and mixed it with everything you can think of, like resin, concrete, PVA, Uhu glue, mycelium, you name it, we did it. And once through that process of exploration, we found a bioresin that reacted with the coffee and it made it grow. And when it grew, it gave these beautiful perforations that when you put a light behind it, it will create this beautiful diffusion. And then we had a eureka moment where we wanted to make lampshades from these. And looking at it, we were environmentally ticking boxes from using a bioresin as well as coffee waste product. So on a social, cultural, and environmental point of view, we would make something quite beautiful but not ruin the planet. We're thinking about how our design is impacting the environment or how we're impacting other cultures or society. And those are the things that make up a good project and make up things that we're always trying to strive for. You mentioned layers for designers to think through. Do you have a list of layers that you refer back to or is this contingent on the different situations? I always like to make our design quite contextual. So depending on what the problem is, there's a different priority list of layers. So you can't use the same priority list for one project for another one, but we generally have a proper framework to think of. Got it. So that would be like social, environmental, economical, functional, cultural. But then the order of them will change depending on the project itself. Correct. Correct. And would you say that the more accomplished designers, the more layers you're able to factor in, the better of a designer you become? Or is that not true? I would say yes and no. I, I think that in the world, there has to be a whole different type of diversity in design. I don't think there is one hero designer that could do it all. This is how I see the world. And I challenge everyone else to see their own way. But I would definitely invite people to challenge this model and come up with their own because the whole point of designing is trying to make the world better. What do you think is the power of storytelling within design? You just touched upon it briefly there. And I was curious to hear your perspective on how stories and design interweave or play a complementary role to one another. There's two ways of doing stories. One is humanizing design experiences for ourselves to understand it. So we can do a storyboard, we can think about it in a contextual way that when we do scenarios and stories, when you play a different person in a game or play a different role inside a building that we're going to propose, we can actually see different storyline. Secondly, it's more a way to communicate to others. So we naturally listen to stories better than listening to a lecture talk about facts. We're more attracted to stories that pull us in and get us more engaged. And the power of stories is a fundamental skill in today's age because how are you going to communicate your ideas if not through stories? So for me, storytelling plays a massive role in our design studio because if we're going to try and make any impact, and sometimes it's an impact of thought or impact of changing perception of something. It's through stories to do that. 
I was once told by one of my mentors that as a creative person who is able to see something before it's actually built, your role is to help others paint that picture for them, to paint that dream. It's a frustrating process because you have your client and you're trying to explain to them this thing that you can see, but no one else can see. <laughs> and there's yeah. this gap that you have to fill. But if you frame it as a responsibility or a duty or a gift, it kind of just becomes a little bit more bearable at times. Definitely. And I think the main thing is, if we all agree that storytelling is the key, then my question would be, what is your language? Is it through word of mouth? Is it through drawings? Is it through art? Is it through interpretive dance? And I feel as though everyone has their different unique languages to do storytelling. I love that because that's how I see my ability to take photographs or make videos. It's not that I want to be a photographer so that I can take beautiful pictures. It's because I want to tell stories and the tool that I'm able to use and leverage is that photography. And sometimes it doesn't have to be like creative output, right? For some telling stories, they can tell stories through math or statistics. What it looks like actually doesn't matter. It can apply in any context. I feel that the average person kind of gets set on certain paths for different reasons. Sometimes it was a choice. Sometimes it was thrust upon us. But we generally end up in a situation where we wish we could do more create more change or assume more control. I'm curious to know, how might you go about designing a more impactful life for yourself? Do you have any tips or tricks on how someone might better integrate that entire process? I think now we're in a time where everyone can have a voice through social media, through the internet. But where I found the most impact is through education and teaching people about what they can be rather than what they should be or what they think society is pushing them towards. I believe that impact can come in many forms. But in a way, impact in education has been something that I really delved into. The problem with education today is that they're a completely outdated model in our time. They were invented to teach future factory workers to be punctual, docile, and sober. So now in a time of complete autonomy as well as creativity, why are we having those old models of working industrial factories still there? So what I do within my design studios is I look at the student as a project and I ask them to find their language and storytelling, of course. I try to nourish their tool of choice be it animation, be it model making, and then they can tell their story and hopefully impact the surroundings and people that they come in contact with. It's the difference between trying to have a really broad impact or having a really deep impact. So yes, you have your commercial projects, but then what really feeds your soul is this ability to nurture a single individual and watch them grow. Did you have any experiences during your own education that made you think this way to this mentorship model? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I did two and a half years at Melbourne University architecture degree. Not to say that I didn't like it, but when I was in my second year, I was looking around and we were basically being churned out to be the same person with the same skills, with the same ideas, because it was a very doctor-like, you do this, you do this, and you just have to box tick. You do that drawing, you get a tick, and eventually you get a mark, right? You get a mark in terms of 68, 67, 69, whatever. But what I saw in Europe at that time was that there was this super experimental school called the Architectural Association. I applied, I got accepted. And then when I started that school, what was interesting was that they had no marks. It was a pass or a fail at the end of the year. And you had a whole year to be experimental, test new ideas. And the whole premise of the school was the rebellious approach. 
I felt as though my tutors were more rebellious than I was. And I was able to go visit places like Madagascar, Alaska, Chernobyl, all these crazy places around the world where I started to think about the environment because cities themselves aren't isolated places. They rely on these supply chains to actually feed our needs and wants. And those experiences have made me a more well-rounded designer, I would say. And that's where this idea of layering came from. If you're stuck at home at the moment because of the whole COVID-19 situation, I'll say it's pretty difficult to travel. But once we release our doors, I do hope that people can go out and experience different cultures, experience the world in a way to one, better understand themselves and their own culture because you can see the difference, but two, appreciate what the world has to offer. Yeah, for sure. Although the physical body is trapped, the mind can still wander and explore. So there's no excuse to, to not grow. There's one project that I heard on one of your TED Talks that I'd love to dive into, where you decided that you wanted to raise awareness for an issue that was bothering you. And in order to do that, you created a fictional world. Can you walk <laughs> us through that project? Yeah. So I guess this project called Add at Nolta came at a point in my life where, one, I was very angry with the world. I thought that we were heading towards doomsday and all the documentaries I saw about how our phones were made, how electronic devices were done, were all with rare earth minerals that were to do with illegal mining in the Congo. And at this time as well, the internet was a place. People would visit places online and even say that they've been there. And this came to an inflection point where one, In 2013, Google MapMaper opened up its doors for third parties to actually add to their maps. Two, I was super rebellious and I wanted to see if I could break systems. And three, I just had the story that I wanted to tell. I started by uploading photos of random objects onto Google and started testing the waters with Google's third-party program called Panoramio at the time. So I started doing real photos and you know my photos in Mexico will get accepted in London, my photos in London will get accepted in China. And then I started pushing this even further. So I started basically doing renders. So renders are basically creating scenes that aren't real. They're done by computers and And a long story short, that all got accepted. And then I started writing a Wikipedia page. People started adding to the Wikipedia page. And I added this place called Adit Nolta on Google. Google accepted it in two weeks. And then I made this massive stage set model that was live streamed from a little room in London where I had smoke machines and miniatures happening. I live streamed that for about 48 hours live. And this project itself was a fake place that I made on Google, but it got so far that a National Geographic photographer contacted me and wanted to visit this place. And the first thing he said was, Mond, can I ask you a question about this place? Is it safe to travel? (laughs) And for me, that, that was just absolutely crazy. So that led me down a rabbit hole of this digital space that has so much impact on the physical world that I really started to explore not only personally, but in my practice as well. First off, I just love this story, this idea that you you took a piece of technology where you tricked it and you you molded it to telling a narrative that needed to be told. As our like world increasingly blurs the line between digital world and physical spaces, how do you see the two coexisting together to make the world better in the future? Well, I think 
One day, the physical world and digital world will start to blur. There will be a seamless transition between the two. Rather than screens, it will be completely exploded into the environment. And we wouldn't sometimes even know what is digital and what is physical anymore. So I'm a big believer in the physical world. I still think tactility and places to go and things to touch is very nice. But the things that we don't touch, for example, the ceiling, beyond two meters above us, signs, things that we don't touch would slowly and ultimately be taken over by the digital world because we're able to maybe turn on more of a virtual environment when we're sitting down, where we're safe, and we can start blurring into, let's say, the wilderness. But once we walk again, of course, we will need to know where we go. We can turn down that aspect and we can see the road so you don't get run over. But those things will start to blur and start playing tricks on us. But those are the things that I believe would start to happen within this digital world, the physical and digital world. So as we enter this sort of COVID-19 crazy world, I'm really curious to hear what advice you might have for people who really want to seize upon this opportunity to change one thing in their life. During this COVID-19 situation, I think really it's time to take a breather. We're all so caught up with the day-to-day and we're busy for the sake of being busy that now is a great time to relook, reflect, maybe unlearn some of the things that you've learned in your life and start applying new things just to relook and recalibrate. And for me personally, I think people looking to make impact rather than looking at profit, maybe look at positive impact in a way that sticks with your values. And those values are the things that you might need to rethink or recalibrate with because when life happens, it just happens so fast that you can't even breathe. I want to end this podcast on three things. So that's an ask, an offer, and a question for the world. I would ask everyone to find their design language and their storytelling language. Start a design journal, write down what your storytelling language is, and keep on pursuing that art form. Wait, what's a design journal like? I've never gone to design school. I've never heard of a design journal. I think some people would even call it a personal diary or a journal. But rather than just writing words inside of it, unless that is your tool of choice, I would challenge you to draw, paint, photograph, and put it in. People can also call it a scrapbook. People can also call it an ideas book. But I would just like for you guys to, or girls to... (laughs) to basically archive everything that you do. When we get overloaded with information and we look back on our time today, we'll still remember what we did and what we were thinking. Love it. Cool. And the offer? The offer is I am more than happy to chat with anyone. I would give my email to Ben and I will offer my time or even just some friendly or confrontational conversation. Amazing. And the question for the world? The question for the world is, what does success look like for all of you? I am waiting for the day where we will live in a seamless local and digital world. Local and digital. You're making up words here. (laughs) Local as in global and local, digital as in physical and digital. I love that. That I think is actually what the world needs and what the world needs to move towards. So I guess it's up to us to build the world that we want to live in. Absolutely, Ben. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mond. I will catch you soon. All right, y'all, that was Mond Q from unitedmake.com.au. I highly recommend you take a couple minutes to go check out his work. It's quite fantastic in a way that my words just don't do it justice. 
Next week, we bring on Cassin Trenner, an activist that has campaigned for the oceans his entire life. He's done so in many different ways, from intercepting whaling vessels with sea shepherds to opening a sustainable vegan sushi shop to writing children's novels. Cassin truly sits on the intersection of worlds and finds a way to have impact in a variety of different ways that I think will leave you inspired and empowered. Thanks for listening, y'all, and make sure to leave a rating if you've been enjoying it because impact is everywhere. <laughs>